Today is cold, unsurprisingly, Good Shepherd Sunday. St. Peter tells us in our, epistle, in our epistle lesson that we were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd of our, and overseer of our souls. In the gospel lesson, St. John quotes Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, and my sheep will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Of course, there can be no better psalm appointed for today than Psalm 23. The Venerable Bede says of this psalm, Through the whole psalm, the Christian regenerate in baptism speaks and renders thanks that he has been brought from the barrenness of sin into a green pasture and the still waters. It is not surprising that Psalm 23 is one of the appointed psalms of the burial offices as well. Let's dive a little deeper to this well-known psalm this morning. Turn with me, if you would, uh, to the psalm in your Bibles. It is found on page 376 of, of the Pew Bibles. Psalm 23 is not a long psalm, so it does not take much time to understand the basic structure Uh, You can divide it, however, a number of different ways, depending upon what you might want to uh, emphasize. But let's at least see the narrative flow. We start with Yahweh being our shepherd. We know that God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh. Jehovah is the old English name used to refer to God's name. In our Bibles, there has been a long standard of using the word LORD with all caps, or the small caps, the O-R-D are small caps, uh, to indicate that the Hebrew word Yahweh, God's formal name, is the original name in the Hebrew text. Halfway through verse 3, we get a shift to God leading us, and particularly into the paths of righteousness, and through the difficulties of life, and we get an emphasis on God comforting us. We then move into God's or excuse me, into God protecting and providing for us in verse 5. And in verse 6, we end in the eternal life found in being one of God's own. Let's back up to the beginning and look more closely. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the much more beautiful Coverdale Psalter we chanted this morning, we get, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore can I lack nothing. We've just finished celebrating Christ's passion. And now during Easter, it is the time to meditate on the effects of that passion. Let us remember, as one commentator referring to Christ's crucifixion puts it, it was because he stood in need of everything at his crucifixion that we lack nothing. He continues, because that shepherd lacked everything, because he had not where to lay his head, because there was no room for him in the inn, because he sat thirsty at the well, because he wasn't hungered in the wilderness, therefore shall we lack nothing. His need supplying our wants, his righteousness atones for our guilt. We should give thanksgiving to God that though in this world we are beset by many dangers, 
both temporal and spiritual, though we as his sheep find ourselves near lions' dens and in the mountains where the bears and the wolves roam, yet Christ has been to all these places before us in his incarnation. He is not absent from us in these dangers, but like the good shepherd he is, he seeks to protect and to safeguard. (coughs) Excuse me. Yes, to protect and safeguard even from ourselves and our foolish choices. And in this protection, we lack nothing. We shall not be in want of anything. As scholar and priest John Mason Neal says, what can the Son of God deny us when he gives us himself? He gives us his body. He gives us his soul. He gives us his divinity. And will he deny us bread? He continues, noting that the getting, excuse me, the gifting of the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ had not, of course, happened as David was composing this psalm. God has not yet has not as yet given himself to be our food and had only revealed this mystery to the same David, who had so often suffered from poverty. And at once he scoffs at it and says, For us, that which we we knew not how to say for ourselves. And what is that? The Lord is my shepherd, therefore can I lack nothing. One thing follows the other. The rich shall fall into want. They who put their confidence in inconstant possessions, today possessed, tomorrow lost. But the poor who betakes himself to that Lord, who is the Lord of all things, shall have enough and to spare, as saith the same prophet. The rich men do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want anything that is good. Verse 2 of the psalm. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Or in the Coverdale, he shall feed me in a green pasture and lead me forth beside the waters of comfort. Father Neal notes, in its widest and broadest sense, the green pasture is the church. Green is constantly refreshed with the dew of the Holy Ghost. Green as shaded from the burning sun of temptation. Remember, if you will, that Jesus, in feeding the 5,000, commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Please also remember the comfortable words the celebrant says after the absolution, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. This is more of a reality for us, the ministry of the Good Shepherd, today, than it was for David when he composed the psalm. As beautiful as this is, we need to note that the majority of the early fathers of the church understood this psalm to refer to and point to the sacraments. The still waters or the waters of comfort or the waters of baptism, where Christ has brought us in his mercy and his grace. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Coverdale. He shall convert my soul and bring me forth in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When the true waters of comfort spring forth in holy baptism, we are then led forward 
into the paths of righteousness by the Holy Spirit. Bishop Lorinus says, The old covenant people of God were led forth in the paths of ceremonies, carnal commandments, the works of the law, which could not justify and made nothing perfect. Note, if you will, his echo of the letter to the Hebrews, for the law made nothing perfect. Lorinus continues, But in his, the Messiah's, days, says David, shall righteousness flourish. He, namely, who is the Lord our righteousness, the righteous man who is raised up from the east, the righteous man whom the clouds rain down, who is made a righteousness to us, who came down, excuse me, who came to teach us righteousness, who himself fulfilleth all righteousness, who goeth in the way of righteousness, who finally alone justifies and leads to blessedness them who walk according to the laws that he has prescribed to them and teaches the divine knowledge of the things which have to be believed as well as done. These are the ways of wisdom of which Solomon speaks These are the right paths to which he invites. Repeating and continuing that quote from the letter to the Hebrews, for the law was made nothing, the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And remember, please, that this was all done for us, for his name's sake. Father Neil, and here once more is the name that is above every name, the name great, wonderful, and holy, which is to be the strength of God's people here and the everlasting subject of their praise hereafter. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the Coverdale is essentially the same. Why the valley of the shadow of death? Archbishop Laud on the scaffold at his execution explains... Lord, I am coming as fast as I can. I know I must pass through the shadow of death before I can come to see thee. But it is but umbra mortis, a shadow of death, a little darkness upon nature. But thou, Lord, by thy goodness, has broken the jaws and the power of death. Neil notes that, yes, our Lord passed through the valley of death, we through the valley of death of the shadow of death. He tasted death that we might never taste of it. He died that we might fall asleep. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Coverdale. Thou shalt prepare a table before me in the presence of them that trouble me. Thou hast anointed my head with oil and my cup shall be full. By far the greatest number of com- or the greater number of commentators over the centuries take this verse, no surprise to us at this point, to refer or to be referring to the Holy Eucharist. 
This is the table, says St. Cyril, in his catechetical lectures, prepared by God in opposition to the table prepared before him by Satan. Prior to the advent of Christ, the temptations and enticements of Satan to sin were as a table of poisonous delicacies. And the Old Testament people of God had no such remedy as the table of the Lord to fly to. We make excuses why we cannot come to Christ's table at our own risk. The sacrament of the body and blood of Christ is our strength. It is our consistent connection to Christ and to the Father by the operation of the Holy Spirit. We must not neglect this duty, but also this opportunity, this gift. St. Cyprian and the bishops at the Council of Orange offer this admonition. Those whom we excite and exhort to the battle, let us not leave weak and unarmed, but let us fortify with the protection of the body and blood of Christ. And since the Eucharist is celebrated to this end, that it may be a safeguard to them who receive it, let us arm with the defense of the Lord's banquet those whom we desire to make safe against the adversary. You anoint my head with oil. Of course, many of the fathers see this as confirmation, and this is not unfittingly joined to others that talk of seeing in this oil both royal and priestly unction. As we see in one of the songs of Revelation, and you have made us kings and priests to our God. And again from St. Peter, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. St. John says to the seven churches which are in Asia, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And my cup shall be full. I love this. The Vulgate has it translated into English. And my inebriating chalice, how excellent it is. Kneel. And here again we see that glorious and excellent chalice filled not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. St. Cyprian uses this verse of Psalm 23 as an argument against certain heretics. Some of you will remember having gone over these guys, but they're not, we don't talk about them a lot, who used water instead of wine in the Eucharist. For how can water, says he, inebriate? With this cup, Christ, St. Augustine, were the martyrs inebriated when going forth to their passion they recognized not those that belonged to them, not their weeping wife, nor their children, nor their relations, while they, while they give thanks and said, I will take the cup of salvation. The conclusion of the psalm in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Coverdale has, Surely thy loving kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As Neil puts it, 
And here, as, as the conclusion of the psalm of graces comes to the last and highest of all graces, that of final perseverance, the end result of all the sacraments, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Neil also notes a good question about this verse. Why is it said, shall follow me, rather than go before me? For certainly we need that preventing grace of God, or as we say it now, that prevenient grace, that grace which goes before. For certainly we need that prevenient grace of God for which the church prays to remove obstacles, to face dangers, to overthrow difficulties. Because, he answers, say the Greek fathers, the idea is that though we of our own will and nature would forsake and forget God, He sends out after us, follows us, chases us, as it were, till he overtakes us and seizes us for himself. The Council of Orange in 529 taught that we need grace on every side, grace before and behind, grace on the right hand and on the left, if we ever hope to enter the kingdom of God at all. St. Patrick's breastplate, of course, reminds us of this truth. Christ be with me, Christ within me. Christ behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ in quiet, Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Another commentator concludes, Such is the mystic table that the Good Shepherd, having led us safely through the valley of the shadow of death, prepares before us. Beside the still waters, our heads anointed with oil. Glory be to the Father who anoints our head with oil, and to the Son, the Shepherd of his people, and to the Holy Ghost who provides for us that inebriating chalice which is so excellent, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.